when it's the last 15 minutes that get you. It's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello, hello. Nick, how are you doing? We, we're here. We're here. We're, we're at the MLS Cup again. Looks like we made it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it feels like the longest season. Part of me is like, uh, the other day I was thinking of this. I was like, I feel like we've already had MLS Cup. And then I was like, all right, well, we sort of did. We had the pre-Cup Cup. <laughs> that is are. true. Do you feel... Uh, we might as well get our bummers out at the beginning, you know. <laughs> Do you feel that we've learned anything from this season that we didn't know from that? So, have we? Have we? Has has from a from a narrative perspective, from a soccer perspective, have we have we breached new ground that 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 MLS's back didn't cover? Eh, no. I mean, I think certain teams came into their element that probably were headed a certain direction before COVID and maybe had a rocky start to MLS Cup or for whatever reason things didn't pan out there. So, like, yeah, different results, so sure, but learning new things, I don't know. I mean, I don't (laughs) think... uh, Short answer is no, not really. I think... It's been, it's certainly been interesting. I'm not saying there haven't been unpredictable results, um, you know, and a couple of surprises here and there. But it, it, I think it does just feel like a weird year to kind of say, like, especially with the whole fracas around the supporter shield, to be like, well, I mean, at the end of all of this, there will be a winner. And I think we probably all are thinking the same thing in terms of who that winner will be. So what have we learned about soccer this year? Possibly that we could have just not done anything and been like, I don't know, let's just say the Sounders won in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost upset at Toronto for not keeping up their end of the bargain. What do you mean almost? I'm real upset about it. <laughs> as interesting as, uh, as I think things will be. Yeah, I don't know. Here here we are. I on, got my Facebook, uh, Facebook notified me today that it was... Uh, it was four years since I was standing at BMO Field in the uh, in the away end watching MLS Cup 2016. That's oh, right. Man. Was that the year that you met Tim Milia? That was the year. I, that was the year I met uh, friend of the show Tim Milia. Amazing. Just hanging out as because he had just won goalkeeper of the year, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's why he was there. It was like a it was like a, a continental tire based promotion of some sort. That's the one thing we're missing is that, that uh, there's no great opportunity to sort of like hit the sponsor tents outside of the the ground in a in a. I guess there's going to be fans at Mopfrey probably because uh, they were there for the semi final. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, there's some people there, but it's you know I I would like a. a I can't uh, I can't lie and say that, that when I went in 2016 and 2017 that I just wasn't like, all right. What free shit can I get? The, where can I pick it all up? If it's a thing that's a product and has an MLS team logo on it, I want it. Put it. In the I stand. still have. I still have my Continental Tires MLS Cup scarf. Beautiful. This is my, I I had also an MLS Cup scarf that I think must have been from when it was in Seattle that I got at a Vancouver pawn shop, and I remember wearing it. Um, 
at work in 2017 when Toronto were making the run, and I'm like, I'm a neutral man. I'm I'm support. I'm here to watch a competition. I just and, support the cup, man. And I want my the boss cup said, to win. <laughs> and my boss said, "That's the dumbest thing I ever heard." <laughs> I'm on the side of sports, okay? <laughs> I'm just glad someone will win. God, it um, almost feels like that at this point, but But we are uh we are here. We are in um we're at the MLS Cup stage. It will be this Saturday. It will be uh Seattle versus Columbus at Mount Frey Stadium in Columbus, Ohio. Uh my understanding is this is the end of uh uh, Columbus is expected to move into a new stadium next season, so this will be the last game at right. that venue. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, also you know, this is the people are looking. People are saying the stories of these two teams are equally intriguing because Seattle can win. You know, for the uh, what would it be now? Um, third time in six years. Yeah, five years. Because it would be Seattle, Seattle, Toronto, Atlanta, Seattle, Seattle. So it would be it would be three from five, which would be if they won, which would be wild. Uh, and they're saying, but I don't think that the 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 dynasty angle is really as interesting as the idea of that they saved the crew, and here we are, two years into um, the new ownership, two years into the Caleb Porter era. They have made it back to the final. The the fans that fought so hard to keep their team are uh, have been rewarded with a Eastern Conference trophy and, and the chance for one more. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I it's it's really it feels like a a sense of justice in a way which you don't often get to see in uh, <laughs> professional sports where everything that the crew went through. And then stabilizing, well, saving the ship and then kind of stabilizing it last year to, to now be in a position where they're really able to build on that and build a, a, a championship winning team or potentially a championship winning team um, is a massive feat. And I, I, it's just got to feel really good for Columbus fans to be able to bask in some of that in some of the success following just so much that was that went through and you know it's it's sort of hard to remember just how close we came to Columbus crew not being a team at all um and so it credit to the fans and everyone around the club but also like Caleb Porter has really pulled this team into the future and and created such a strong side that has been exciting to watch um, but quietly really putting together a, a really, really, really strong competitive side. So it it feels good, and on the Seattle side of things, I mean, of course it's easy to hate the, the champion, <laughs> but the thing for me that makes their success so profound is when you think about how much changeover they've had. And, I mean, even from the last time they won the championship... <laughs> Uh, which was last year, like they've they've lost a ton of players that won the, each trophy, and they've consistently come in and recruited uh, a player that has been a significant improvement over what they lost, and they've lost some incredible talent. <laughs> some of that incredible talent has has come back. Um, but when you think about just how much change in personnel there's been uh, in Seattle's starting eleven 
through those championships. It's kind of insane to be here again, staring down the barrel, looking at uh, the next, you know, potential third one. Um, the, do you want to start with there with, with that game, or do you want to start with, with Columbus, New England? Well, let's go chronological and, and give Columbus, New England their, their due credit. I feel like this game was kind of in the shadows a little bit to the Seattle-Minnesota game. And and just before we dive into it, I'll remind people, you guessed this was going to be a 3-1 win for Columbus, and I guessed it was going to be a one nothing win for New England. You had the numbers. The numbers were, <laughs> were, were right for you. All that matters is I got some part of it right. But <laughs> it was not to be. Um, yeah, I got the... Uh... I got the sense, you know, we had been talking about New England as a calm team, mm-hmm. um, and one of the ch- one of the great parts about that is that you, you know you you hope that a team gets into a, a situation where they go down a, a goal and they don't get too flustered, or if they get you know they're beating, they're trying to recover pretty easily. Um, but this is a scenario I think where Columbus was really able to, in a sense, uh, get behind the lines pretty easily. Um and 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 do some real damage to them, um without sort of provoking a strong response. Yeah, I think I uh, mostly agree with that. Um, yes, yes to the first part, definitely. I think that you know this game for large large stretches was mostly in control. Uh, by Columbus, something that you anticipate, you know, um, you th- you have to think Bruce Arena kind of saw that coming a little bit. Uh, Columbus likes to control games, but there was just so many chances, and it really felt like uh, the chances that New England had were sort of in brief little spells, but mm-hmm. they didn't seem entirely confident going forward. And, it, yeah, to me, I don't know if you meant this exactly but it sort of felt like Columbus was kind of like a gear below where they could have gone to Mm -hmm. to see out the game and New England just sort of like hit their ceiling at some point in the game and kind of stayed there like they didn't completely uh lose their heads when they got scored against but the chances that were there it was it was just sort of like not a great ball or just the wrong decision yes I mean, you look at the the one that pops up is the the Adam Buxa one where he's got this run and he he takes it and, and hits it the side of the post backwards, kind of. Yeah, and he's got Gustavo Bo coming in, um, not in a great position, but he's certainly there at the far post. And the right ball also has the opportunity to you know deflect off of one of the center backs. He's so deep, and I, I mean, and I, I don't think it's like a mistake necessarily. I mean, Buxa is he's the guy closest to the net with the ball, so. Sure, have a shot, but it did kind of sum things up, right? Where it was like uh, they got into space, he beat the defender, and then just nothing comes of it. The uh, the goal comes on fifty nine minutes. Uh, Lucas Elrayan throws in this this long cross that Jonathan Mensa uh, takes down with his his back to the goal, and just sort of taps, I think, with a with a first or second touch to Artur, who is able to slide it inside. Uh, the near post. Yeah, it's a it's a great clinical goal, and again, Columbus looking very calm doing it. Just 
I really felt like the chances that Columbus had, and especially the one that they scored, New England, it's not that they drop off, it's not that they're switched off, it's just that they get stretched a little bit. You know, when, mm-hmm. when, when New England is going forward and when they're playing their offensive shape, they look really strong and confident, and there's just a few points where they're coming back on not not quite a counterattack, but they're just not looking super organized and... Um, you know, players aren't as tight to their marks as they need to be. And it, like you said, Columbus was finding a good way of breaking lines in this game and and uh, opening up key players in space. And I, I felt like that had to be part of Columbus's plan to also get lots of different players on the ball. This wasn't going to be a game that they expected. The only outlet to win it is through Zardes. This is a Look, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's build up. Let's build a, a dynamic attack that they're going to have to defend uh, all our best players. And you really did feel like all their best players had at least one good shout at goal, um, and you know had a had an opportunity to score. Which is kind of what New England when New England is firing on all cylinders. That's what they do well too, but didn't really feel like they got as much of a chance to do here. Yeah, so, and, you know, and like, even last week when I said it, I was like, I think New England's going to do it. I was sort of having adding some caveats to it, where I was like, I don't really think they're going to do it, but I <laughs> feel like they could. <laughs> and I don't know how you feel, but I, I sort of felt like the New England that needed to show up and get this one done wasn't quite there. I would agree with that, and, and, and it's hard to know what the reason for that is and, and why... What led to them being able to um, to to get here in so confident a fashion and not be able to sort of close the deal? But you have to look for this team as it as progression over over the past seasons and in the in the seasons of Bruce Arena. This um, obviously where they want to be is in the championship final. But um, from when Arena took over. It's like, you know, he, he took over halfway through the season. This is, uh, and from where New England were in the playing rounds, this mm-hmm. is like a massive improvement from where they were last year, which is an improvement from where they were the year before. And I don't know, I, I don't know if this is going to, you know, satisfy them, but I think that that is something that they can uh, be a little proud of. I... I would hope so. I mean, given where New England was before Bruce Arena came in and took charge, this is a, <laughs> I mean, one of the great reinvention stories, mm-hmm. um, certainly in this era of MLS. And so I I think it will be a little bit disappointing. They looked very tired. Um, I think all teams are feeling that right now. Uh, especially the teams that are left, like really slogging it out with yet another hurdle to clear. Um, and, and yeah, they might be a little bit disappointed by their performance on the day, but I don't think it was a bad performance. I don't, I, I mean, they held Columbus crew to one goal. I think that's an achievement in and of itself. They stayed in the game. They weren't in control for much of it, but they, they had opportunities and they didn't come. But yeah, as a, as a progression point, pretty good (laughs) eastern (laughs) conference final two years from complete obscurity and you know near the bottom of the table like sure that that's great i mean as a whitecaps fan that 
that's the kind of thing I would hope my team could strive for is like, <laughs> hey, okay, re- we've rejigged things. Our goal is the playoffs. Okay, we made it into the playoffs. Next year, we want to be we want to go further. And I think I don't know what target they set, but you have to feel like this they didn't really anticipate at the beginning of the season, even before COVID, that they were going to be in the Eastern Conference final. I'm sure they would have liked it, but I don't know that that was necessarily the goal. So yeah, it's it's absolutely success. I mean, so, someone's got to lose, right? And I don't think that means that they they shouldn't be proud of what they did and also think, I mean, a lot of the pieces are there for them. That's right. Uh, after Columbus uh, hosted the uh, hoisted Eastern Conference uh, trophy, the next day we saw uh, Seattle and Minnesota. Minnesota had uh, just pulled off the the upset of uh, Sporting Kansas City um, with the three quick goals, and I think when we talked, you didn't you felt pretty certain that Seattle could take it, um, but I think that 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 is that result last week felt like it was something to um, to put a little bit of a, the fear in the back of people's minds, and certainly with two great goals, an amazing free kick goal from Reynoso uh, in a, a, a goal that was um, set up, I think, off of a free kick by him uh, with yeah. Debasi uh, getting it in on a header. It certainly looked like that's what was happening again. A little bit, yeah. I'm sorry, I just I got distracted because I was like, man, I'm so annoyed at how long ago you called Reynoso's abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Well, people are surprised by it. I think there's a part of it where it's just because people not watching Minnesota or whatever. Totally. You know, in, in you know, that's kind of what the playoffs do is that, especially in a, uh, a year like this where so many teams didn't play so many other teams that, yeah. you know, it, it, it draws people's eyes to the things like you hear um, it, it suggestions now, you know, now that people have seen a couple straight games of Reynoso in the playoffs, they're like, oh my God, this is the greatest player I've ever seen. Yeah. And I feel, I mean, I feel like we both talked about that in uh, this season with um, sport, so, not with Sporting Kansas City, um, with Minnesota in general, you know, that people just weren't really paying attention to them. And so they were kind of missing just how good they were. I mean, I think people did that with Columbus to a certain degree as well. But yeah, I mean this the the free kick he takes is just really something else. And for the first 20 minutes it's pretty it's like a it's a good match, you know? It's a bit of back and forth. Um it's a little bit scrappy but nothing too egregious and it it sort of looks like I think what a lot of people expected is that Minnesota would trouble Seattle at times and Seattle would ha- probably have more chances and and probably win it, but uh, I mean, this goal, I think it's around the 25-minute mark. I have 29 here. Uh, yeah, so it's like you're just over halfway through the first half. They get this free kick opportunity, and Reynoso just takes, like, a truly world-class free kick. And just, like, when you watch the angle that's from behind Reynoso and you Oof. watch the trajectory of the ball, it just sort of defies all physics or common sense. <laughs> To, and then to come off the post, like just at the exact perfect place off the post and in, in the low corner is just 
thing a thing of beauty. That great scything movement, it is like one of the, the, the pretty uh, free kick goals of this year. You almost could say from the free kick as well that Shane O'Neill skated a little bit with the yellow. You could have almost uh, thought that you could yeah. have almost sent off Shane O'Neill for the, the the foul on Ethan Finley that sets that up. Yeah, I think he was a, a pretty lucky boy. I'm not. I didn't lose a lot of sleep over that call. I, I, I mean, if there had been no yellow, then sure. And I think that's why it wasn't a red. Is that he mm-hmm. was called for the foul and he was carded. And so, there. I don't think you could say that's a clear and obvious red. It, it's certainly borderline for sure. Um, and I, I definitely was like, oh man, of all the the refs to be. <laughs> To have on the pitch to let that one slide, you are indeed a lucky boy, but um, <laughs> he, he does stay on. That's for sure. And as things are continuing through this half, you know, uh, it's around the 55-56 zone, I think, when um, when Rui Diaz has his goal disallowed because he... Um, uh, toppled Michael Boxel beforehand folded yep. him up like a set of cardboard containers <laughs> um what which, are your thoughts there like do you do you agree with that do you agree with the call a lot of Seattle call. fans yeah. were upset about that one I mean you could I guess the question is because it wasn't called first do you think there's any ability to have a clear and obvious foul deal because I do think that or, that, that that it wasn't clear or obvious whether or not he had because it, it seems like pretty clear contact and that takes him out and mm-hmm. and it's the nature of the movement as well is one where he could have been caught if he hadn't done that you know what I mean like I'll, I'll rate it on the contact and I'll also rate it on the well was the move only possible because of the foul that we're talking about. And I think that that's not an unfair, I don't think it's unfair to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know like exactly how, like in what cases clear and obvious is applied. (laughs) Clearly there's (laughs) been inconsistencies uh, around, but yeah, I mean, I get the Sounders fan saying like, okay, Boxel is a big dude and he's going down awfully easy against, uh, a, a much smaller player but it's like well Rui Diaz is not, is not a small player yeah. he's a very strong very smart player and when and on replay when you look at it like yeah Boxel's a little bit off balance but I actually think Rui Diaz sees that and that's why he shoulder barges him is he is trying to knock him off balance I don't think he's trying to knock him over but he's he he looks at him. He makes no he makes no attempt to play the ball in that movement. He's pushing a player off, and yes, Boxel like I think the momentum is against him, and Boxel falls over and maybe goes down a little bit too easy. I still think it's a foul, and um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm okay with the the no call there, um. If there was a lot more flopping involved or Boxel had been facing him, but he, he really doesn't kind of know much about it. Like, it's almost in his back as Rui Diaz is about to go by. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of feel like, you know, especially 
in a scenario like if let's put it this way if Boxel does it to Rui Diaz it's certainly a foul so just because you're the attacking <laughs> player and I feel like this is where people get confused is sometimes they it, we just naturally somehow like favor the goal scorer or we favor the attacking player and we don't think they should get called for anything but like if you're making no attempt to play the ball and you foul another player it's still a foul even <laughs> if you're not the defender so 100% agree that's my take is that if it was the exact same play but roles reversed um in terms and scenario then it's a foul so it's it's still a foul so there was a lot i think that the way that i think of it is that there's a lot sort of pushing together there there's a lot pushing through for through seattle at that point that uh that goal is uh i want to say that's 62 um, two or three minutes later is when we get the uh, the Jordan Morris hitting the uh, hitting the bar with a gale force shot. Yeah, that uh, that 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 seemingly would seemingly rattled Lumen Field to its uh, which is the new name for it uh, after CenturyLink changed its name. Uh, rat- seem- a lead part- foot that one. Uh, seemingly rattled it to its uh, its core. Um, you, I wrote at the time of the Rui Diaz one that it feels like it felt like the other foot is going to drop um, because they had been Seattle had had a lot of chances, but they also kind of felt like they were struggling to get all those chances, and that's when Minnesota stings with their uh, their goal from Debasi. Yeah, and it's an interesting like sequence of events because you know Morris has this great opportunity <laughs> like rattles the post rattles the field rattles the team and then the response is actually Minnesota getting their second goal and I don't know if Seattle felt unsettled leading up to the Morris chance or you know whether it's in their heads about the Rui Diaz no goal but this is one that kind of comes out of nothing too. And it's, it's another free kick opportunity, but I don't think there's a ton that you can do about this. I mean, where Dibassi is, Dibassi, mm-hmm. sorry, Dibassi, um, where Dibassi is and the fact that he gets any contact on it and sort of like does one of those like flick of backs. It's like, sure. Somebody could have jumped in the way and challenged a little bit harder, but also that's just a perfectly placed ball and skill. And so Seattle, without really, like, screwing anything up, is down 2-0 pretty late into the second half. And it it's really, like, I don't know if at this point I necessarily would have said, oh, it looks like Seattle might lose. But I remember thinking, like, well, it looks like Seattle is going to have a real hard time and this is probably going to penalties. I don't know. I kind of thought that the that, that, that impossible might be, uh, or, or not not even impossible. Well, I'll say this. But by the 80th minute, I'm thinking like, or sorry, not by the 80th minute, but, but like, I would say like by the 70th minute, just before Will Bruin comes on, I'm like, maybe they do this. Like, Seattle still has time, but this is pretty late to score and then to hold on. And for a bit after that goal, they actually looked pretty good. And it kind of looked like Minnesota. Like they had a couple of chances where it could have been three nil. However, 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 then 
at 75 minutes with yes. Mr. Bruin himself, yes. it all starts to fall apart. Um, and, and the first goal, I think, is the most, like, the the... It, it, it depends on how you rate embarrassing, but but this is the this is the one that sort of hits Boxel while he's got his back turned. Rui Diaz hits Boxel, and Will Bruin is just sitting right there, so he turns and shoots with it. Yeah, that sort of you know I really felt that that Minnesota had looked pretty error free up to that point. Yeah, they looked really solid defensively. I mean. Seattle certainly bent them a lot and and looked like they could have had um, some really good opportunities. And obviously with the Rui Diaz goal, they did. But um, they kind of weathered that storm, especially Boxel. I mean, he had a great game. Um, and this is just kind of a series of unfortunate events. But uh, failure to, to really properly deal with the ball. And, you know, I, th- I think with an, another defender there, that would have helped out a bit. But Seattle is beating them on the counter and will Bruin as he has so often been in his career is just in the right place, right? <laughs> like it's not mm-hmm. an accident that he's there. He's ready to clean up the scraps of rebounded shots. That's why he's been subbed on. So it, yeah, it happens. Then just, just before on 89th minute, I wasn't sure if it was 89 or it was 90, but I see in the score sheet here, it's 89. Uh, Raul Rui Diaz does the thing. The ball is the ball from the corner is flicked on from a header to the to the far post, where Rui Diaz has a small summer home. Uh, really has some acreage to work with. Uh, to <laughs> to post. to fire home the tying goal. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I I am sure of how this happens, and that it's because it's the 88th minute of an awfully long game, of an awfully long season of defending, and there's just no one marking Rui Diaz. He's smart. He kind of, he's in the mix with everyone, and it's a big crowd as the corner comes in, and he just sort of sneaks off from his marker. He's wide open. The ball doesn't get dealt with. A little bit of chaos in the box. You don't want that defending against Seattle. You gotta, I ha- I thought, the first 60 minutes of this game, Minnesota did the exact right thing. And anytime there was an uncertain ball anywhere in their half, they were booting it as high and as far away as they could. Uh, that's a, not the worst way to deal with Seattle. Um, and it, and it's just sort of like half clearances in Rui Diaz scores. Which you think, okay, there it is. Called it. It's going to added time. Which probably means we'll be going to PKs. <laughs> and you'd still be wrong, because not to be outdone, Brian Schmetzer has decided that he's winning this one, he's got his hot cup of cocoa to go home to, and he would like to be in bed early. Um, <laughs> Rui Diaz actually almost had another, but it deflects out for a corner. I'm, we're and, past, we're well past midnight at that point over here in St. John, and I'm just thinking, I'm bunkering down. I'm ready, yeah. for, <laughs> ready for the long haul. Yeah. It, I might see the sun come up in this game. <laughs> and then good guy, Gustav Svensson, is just in the right place, rises above everyone from that corner kick to score deep into the stoppage time in regular time. And Seattle win. I mean... Uh- <sighs> 
it felt so like that's okay. So we told the story of the goals now, so we have to kind of like give an idea of how we we're coming at this from the perspective that we we prospect we we predicted that Seattle was going to win and then they won. But yeah. at the time, it felt to me very this sequence of events felt absolutely preposterous to me. <laughs> that, I think that you could somehow get this. That this huge turnaround, because like I told you, I kind of felt, I kind of felt that Minnesota had was doing the thing again. I thought that they, they, they yeah. had were were able to shut everything down, and they were able to to avoid a couple good chances there before the the second goal. And and, and I wasn't particularly happy with a lot of the chances, a, a lot of the chance taking from Seattle. And on ninety, just before this, Rui Diaz hits the bar again. Clearly, they are absolutely trying to get this done in um, in the ninety if they can. Um, but I kind of thought, you know, if you look at the the stats, you know, the C- Seattle leads the shots twenty four to seven, shots on target five to five. So mm-hmm. Seattle was just just launching stuff in that was constantly getting blocked and stuff, and and, and the. The idea that they were gonna that they that they were able to turn it around, that they were able to turn it around so fast and with such good goals, was just like an astounding performance of their uh, of their ability to to make comebacks, to get results, to have that sort of the what what Brian Schmetzer would call this this championship will to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and completely just stun the viewing audience as I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, right? Because, of course, I could say anything and be like, ah, this is what I thought the whole time. And <laughs> I'm trying to be honest and, and put my put myself back there. Like, when Reynoso scores, I think, great. Okay, totally unexpected. I did not think Minnesota was going to score first, but I thought they were going to score um, and I was like, well done, Minnesota, keeping this one interesting. And from there on in, I was like, I think that like a 2-1 scoreline wasn't enough because if once you piss Seattle off, <laughs> they're going to come at you. And so I thought, I was like, they're not going to stand for this. They're going to score at least three or four. Um, and then, you know, once the Rui Diaz no, Ru- goal that gets called off happens in the second half. So it's, the rest of the first half, you're kind of like, well – that was not great from the Sounders, and I still think they can come back and win this thing in the second half, but they, they really got their work cut out for them, and like Minnesota looked good. Um, they certainly look like they're under pressure at times, but they're dealing with it, and they're dealing with it as they have much of the season. So, like, again, like, really, it's only after the second goal and that the sort of few minutes following it where I really was starting to feel like, like you said, like, Oh, I guess Minnesota is going to do that thing they do and just surprise teams. And it's going to be really hard to get back into this one. I still, I think the pessimist in me popped in. That's like Seattle will still find a way to win this. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that I felt all that confident in what I was seeing in front of me. I was just like, well, the natural 
you know, the law of the universe says Seattle's going to win this game. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just assume they'll still win somehow. <laughs> but to do it in the in the amount of time that they had, in the way that they did, um, is just like I'm running out of superlatives for this team and how good they are and how many different ways they can win games and just how in it they were. That, you know, even the moments where at, at 2-0 down... <laughs> Halfway through the second half, most teams are just not going to be coming back from that. Certainly not to win it. And to dig deep, to to still have chances not go quite their way, but have every player step up and and continue to, to push and to win the way they did is it's just it's ridiculous and a little annoying. <laughs> so now we're coming to we're now we're coming to Saturday. Yeah. Um I don't know. Uh, uh, it, it will be played in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we've got any information about if there's any sort of issues, any COVID issues, any players, anybody having tested positive uh, or not yet. I believe there might have been a positive test from crew today. Um, let me just quickly pull that up. I'm pretty sure I saw something today that there was one positive test amongst their players. Yeah. That's uh, that's concerning. That is, uh, I, I, of course, I hope it goes well for everybody. But you know, we continue to be stressed about the fact that they're doing home market stuff. Um, with respect to this, this Seattle, the 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 championship mentality that they that they put on here. Uh, how are you feeling about the challenge that Columbus presents? It's tough. I mean, I think probably similar um, to what I thought from Minnesota. Yes, they confirmed yesterday, confirmed one positive case involving a player following testing this week. Mm. Um, I think Columbus is going to make as hard of a, a time as they can for Seattle. And I think that will probably play out. Um, so in in terms of the overall game, Seattle's got their work cut out for them. It's not going to be an easy game at all. Um, and I think the crew are probably an improvement upon and not totally dissimilar from Minnesota's system. Um, I think they're a lot more solid the question about that I I think I have is do they have the legs? Um, mm. Are they are they going to be completely switched on for ninety minutes at full fitness, everyone available? Because that is what it will take. Um, it's uh, but it's it's Seattle. This Sounder side does not know the meaning of quit, and. I don't. Th- I, there's nobody from the East that I would pick over the crew at this point to to have a real shot against Seattle, and I still think Seattle is the better team by quite a bit. Do you have a a, a number to put on that? <sighs> so my initial guess that I wrote down is three two for Seattle. 
I think it's going to be three one. I I think Columbus yeah. is. I think Columbus is going to look really good on the pitch. I think they're going to enjoy some spells of possession. I think they're probably going to score. Um, I I think Seattle is not going to let the same thing happen. I also don't think Columbus is as good as Minnesota on set pieces, and that was the real difference maker for Minnesota. So I'm going to say 3-1. What do you think? I, 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 I take all the comments about Seattle. You can't you clearly after this game, you can never rule them out, and and they look strong this year, as as strong as uh, the team that won the title last year with with many of the the key places still pieces still in place and and, and other improvements like you know um, they've had so much so much great uh, stuff on the defense with with Yamar and um, they ended up bringing. Uh, they ended up bringing back people, and they look really, really good. So it's kind of hard to 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 put the word against them. But mm-hmm. after losing in the final in 2015, after Save the Crew, and the fact that this is going to be a home MLS Cup final in front of fans, not as many as you would get in an ordinary year, I find it very hard to to count out Columbus here. It's hard to to do that in a way. It's hard to measure that against Seattle because, yeah. unlike a team like Toronto, it doesn't feel like Columbus has really been trying. Like you know, they they have the they've been having a mentality that we need to knock teams like Seattle off of their perch. Um, they're certainly not like built either way to combat them in, in any sort of way. They, they played earlier. They played uh, pre-stoppage um, in a 1-1 draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the the momentum and the home effects will result in 2-1 after extra time. Wait, for who? Sorry. For Columbus. For Columbus. I can't Ooh. decide 2-1 two, one, two, one after extra time or 2-2 two, two penalties. I can't decide 2-2 two, two Columbus wins on penalties. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think that the home effects are going to be most pronounced if there's a penalty shootout. So. Okay. That's where, that's where Columbus has the best um, opportunity to, to, to make some hay. And certainly, like that—that that seems like a very possible scenario. Um, and yeah, it's hard, right? Because like, if I was a crew fan listening to what I just said about the crew, I mean, I think quite rightly you'd be like, "You're not paying this team any respect. You don't know what they're capable of." And I and would agree with you. And I still think the Seattle's gonna win. And that's the that's that's the thing that has been the case about the crew. I think in in, in what they're doing in their performances, it's not aimed it as much at a rival. It's not aimed as much at anything more than demonstrating in any given game what they could produce. You know? Just yeah. like... And, and and there is a part of that that is tied up in the character of Gassi Zardes to say, like, I do rock, actually. <laughs> every time... He, it feels like he's saying that every time he scores a goal. 
and and now is that going to cut it against a team that is so complete like Seattle? Um, and and that's the thing, right? Is it's like if we're talking about Columbus in the final, I agree with everything that you said, and and I would say the same scoreline if they were playing literally any other team. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, it's still 2020 and anything can happen, and I'm not just bandwagoning it and being like, well, it happened before, so it'll happen again. I But I do feel like the Seattle side, with the squad they have, especially after what they just pulled off against Minnesota, um, they're, they're comfortable in any scenario, and they're dangerous in any scenario. And I think Columbus is really, really, really good, and good in lots of different scenarios. But... It, it's so dangerous when you're playing against a team that just has it within them to, to never give up. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of extraordinary. So it, it's a great assessment. And, like, look, if we're having this conversation next week and Columbus has pulled off the impossible, I will be stuffing my face with Crow and being like, <laughs> it makes sense. It all makes sense. Um, I, I think I, you're absolutely right in your analysis. Uh, but we've been we've had such luck with the with with calling it uh, with with having our productions go predictions go right when we call it the same way. So, like, I can't risk that. We gotta. We, I want to. I want to introduce a, a <laughs> absolutely. A, a... Well, and like truly, who knows? But the the interesting thing is not that anything that we do has any impact on it. But if you have been following along, when you and I have picked the same team. We have remained 100% correct throughout this entire tournament, which is pretty cool. Um, and when you and I pick different teams, we are exactly tied. Which? I pulled ahead oh, exactly briefly tied. last Oh, that's week. an interesting point. That's an interesting but that point. Be, but because New England, I predicted New England would win, and they didn't. Now we're level again. So in terms Ooh. of what we've called, this is a 50-50 game. That's exciting. It'll be the tie. It'll be the tiebreaker for our uh, predictions uh, together. Oh, that's right. It's true. Uh, so this game is going to take place at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 Atlantic, 5.30 Pacific, um, 1.30 a.m. GMT in England. Perfect. Uh, it will be on Canada on TSN, United States on Fox and Unimas, uh, and lots of other places internationally. So that'll be a fun, you know, MLS Cup is special to me ever since I got to go to two of them. Well, it was special before that, but it means something to me, so I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm, I'm like, honestly, I'm a little excited for the season to be done. It's, yes. it's been a lot. It's been a lot. I'm really, I'm really feeling for the players and and what they've been through, and and it's it's just it has been a lot, and it's been great to watch. But I'm feeling a little bit of a sense of relief of being able to catch our breath and into the break, sort of pause and think about the league talk about um, we haven't even had an opportunity to talk about next season you know like kind of wrap try to wrap our heads around some things so i'm i'm excited for a final two um and it's it's nice to have a, a thing that lots of people are watching and i'm also excited because it's been you know like we can't go to stadiums and it's, it feels very isolating to watch games but it's been a lot more fun to watch games on twitter this year and like actually <laughs> see some of the conversations and have conversations with people. It feels a bit more like a, some camaraderie when you're watching with people on Twitter. So the, I'm ready for it. 
Yes. Elsewhere in the league, um, as things heat up for um, for, for the uh, the press week for MLS Cup, we had our, our State of the League address from Commissioner Don Garber, um, in which he said that league losses for the year are expected to reach $1 billion. Um, and the big discussion now is around this force majeure clause that was... Um, not in the original CBA that was was negotiated in February, but added during the additional negotiations prior to the return to play. Mm-hmm. Um, because all, of all of this, um, these losses, this, the force majeure clause allows the league to uh, to send players back to bargaining, which potentially could result in another work stoppage in advance of the. Uh, the planned March return of MLS. So that's very concerning. Uh, The union is very against that happening. Um, According to uh, Stan Stuchkel, the the union head uh, was saying that almost 20% of players got COVID this season. Isn't that just sick? It is awful. It just... yeah, it really puts it into perspective just how many people were put at risk to give us sports. And like most of the like you know you don't you don't the way that it has been sort of announced you don't always know who it is or who it isn't like like all of this you know the discussions that we're having about like oh isn't it so great that why why don't we um why aren't we all noting how good Emmanuel Reynoso is? Well, he got COVID and he missed a couple games. Yeah, like, yeah. like it is. It is the the under the undercurrent for everything. The MLS MLSPA executive director's name is Bob Foose, uh, who who said that in the in the press in the press conference. Uh, MLS is named its MVP will be Toronto's Alejandro Pozuelo, um, which is. Uh, very exciting for him is 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 hailed in the home market is sort of being his um his chance to make something you know to to wholly uh to seize that role of being the star in Toronto from from uh Sebastian Jovinko, uh which includes equaling his his MVP win um he had nine goals and ten assists in 23 matches first in chances created and tied for first in big chances created. Big chances. <laughs> My favorite kind. And he started every single game. They know that was their. That's that's what they they're they're noting on MLSsoccer.com. Uh, MLS who who put out their their best one hundred earlier for the twenty fifth. The, their long list of of the greatest players in league history has put out their list of best twenty five. They're not ranking them. And they they won't be. Um, the there's a lot of uh, sort of a, a mix of the of the league's top stars. You know your your Marco Echeverri, Sebastian Giovinco is on there. Um, Clint Dempsey is on there. Uh, Chris Wondolowski, Bradley Wright Phillips, David Beckham are all. Uh, Landon Donovan, some of the big names. Um, you also have mainstays like Kyle Beckerman is on there. Some of your uh, your more recent names, Joseph Martinez is on there. Uh, Diego Valeria is on there. The I'd say that most of this is pretty 
pretty solid. Uh, CNN felt it necessary to write an article about how Zlatan got got snubbed somehow by this. uh, With just sort of a 600 word piece about how good Zlatan Ibrahimovic is. Like, the... With the way that the criteria was set around winning multiple uh, leagues or, or winning major player awards or whatever, like Wayne Rooney was not on this list, and he probably shouldn't have been the 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 big foreign player that you could argue maybe could deserve to be on this list is on Thierry Henry, who is not. But I would put Henry way higher than I would put Zlatan as being. Is BWP uh, on the, the list? BWP is on the list. All right. Well, then I'm fine. <laughs> no, I mean, sure. Like, I, I guess, you know, yeah, they're they're all fine picks. It's pretty innocuous stuff. I mean, it's also, like, it's literally just a made-up award that they've never done before. So, like, <laughs> whatever criteria they want to use, they'll be able to justify their picks. So, yeah, I, I don't think there was much in there that really raised any eyebrows for me other than just like, wait, why, why, what, what is, <laughs> cause it's okay. the 25th anniversary. Cause MLS picked this big, this big desire to celebrate their history during what ended up being, uh, the worst MLS season of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I mean, not always their fault, but it's sometimes their fault. Sure. It's just, it's interesting that like winning multiple things is the criteria, but for Pozuelo, he gets MVP, but like his team well, team didn't even make the Eastern Conference Finals. You can't know. You can't know. No MVP. No MVP trophy considers the playoffs, and and that that's that's unfortunate. But that's how it is. Oh, that's the actual criteria. Yes. I'd forgotten that part. Yeah, well, like, I'm glad like I the, didn't go on a lengthy Twitter rant and have voting my, always uh, happens. Voting always. Uh, my understanding is voting always happens following the conclusion of the season. All right. Well, then I think that that's a great choice, and I have no further notes. So there's there's always something that happens like that where a team wins. Uh, an unfortunate. Well, Jim Curtin won Coach of the Year. That's true. Yeah. And 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 he, I'm sure he, uh-huh. I'm, he that happened before the game, but I'm sure he he got that. I'm sure he got that uh, silverware in the post, and maybe left it in its box for a couple of days while he was. Yeah, that's not when you're in a, you're in a rush to put on the mantelpiece. Um, we've heard about a little bit about this before, but there was an athletic story on, uh, the fact that, um, the, um, the allegations of, um, sexual harassment by David, David Villa, um, and other members of the, uh, and other members of the cha- uh, the training staff at New York city towards, um, this, uh, this individual Skylar Badillo, who is a, a, a intern in the athletic department of NYCFC. Um, it is harrowing reading what happened. Um, what happened there? And, and my understanding is that on November seventh, they issued a statement essentially confirming that some bad stuff did happen, but most of the people, including Villa, are out of the organization. Um, that's really like, like frustrating. Slow to clap, hear. but. Yeah, it's really frustrating that that it's so in in some sense it's so a little too late and and just the story in general it's not something that 
that she should have had to have dealt with. And it is something that is, um, like incredibly frustrating to, to, to hear from somebody that, that, that had such a huge platform to do that. That, that's, that sucks. It really does. And, you know, and it's, it, it sucks as well because like, I don't have a ton of confidence that much, much does change from here. When you're in a case where you can say, well, none of those people are at the club anymore. It, it allows you to kind of just like dust off your hands and be like, okay, well, yeah, it's very unfortunate, but basically a different club. And it, there, it, you know, there's the, uh, the obligatory wordage around, you know, um, creating cultures of inclusion and training for staff or something, but it doesn't address something that like, I, I just don't think people understand how this kind of thing continues to operate in a system and it, it, it's always just sort of a, a one-off thing, but you think like it, it seems like the kind of thing that a lot of people would have known and seen going on and everybody chose to do nothing. And in fact, by just letting all those people leave the club would still say like, well, you still did nothing. So <laughs> what's to, what's actually preventing another big star from coming in and sexually harassing uh, a, an intern or a female member of the staff? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate all around and it's, it, it, it's unfortunate again to go through all of that to, to be here. That's like, well, that all just sucks. So, okay. Continuing our, our, uh, our, uh, carousel of, of clubs that have had bad internal, uh, cultures, um, RSL sale is continuing. Uh, the NWSL team that was held by the group, the Utah Royals, is going back to Kansas City. Um, this seems like it was a pretty big shock to the supporters group of what was FC Kansas City at the time. Um, and it just is really, it's an awful situation for Utah fans who who, who made that club second in league attendance last year. And, and, and it's a terrible, it's terrible to have your team, to lose your team, and it's it's this it's this mix of of the terrible feeling of having a team pulled away from fans and also the feeling of having of of reunion of having the team a new ownership group bring soccer back to Kansas City uh bring women's soccer back is is tremendous uh for mm-hmm. those individuals i hope that uh, my understanding is that they're they're still looking for a buyer for RSL. I, I think this obviously creates some worries about what's going to happen with them. Mm-hmm. I still think absolutely it's the right move for for him to sell, and, and he can't be allowed to be an owner in MLS or at NWSL or USL any longer. Um, but you know, that's also a club with a, a rich history. And I hope that they are able to, to continue whoever does buy the assets. Um, apparently uh, written according to the athletic will have the ability to reform the Royals as an expansion team in 2023. Right. So that is, that's good news for them. And, and I certainly hope that a, an, a, a buyer steps up to, to serve the soccer fans of Utah, who are, of course, the fans, uh, the owner sucks. The fans didn't do anything to deserve this. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it it it's always unfortunate when it's it's fans and players getting in the crossfire in the crosshairs of management and ownership. But you know, I, I mean, I guess the silver lining here is there will be a, the club will continue in a new form, and there's an option for a new club to come in. So it's not the worst news. But I'm yeah, I'm feeling for the fans in Utah. Um, on the Whitecaps front. Uh, you may remember what now seems uh, a thousand years ago the 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 issues that took place last year with with the allegations around sexual misconduct for a coach uh, historical sexual misconduct with a coach of the Whitecaps women's team in two thousand eight uh, that led to protests and fans walking out of state uh, the stands last season and in a review that was commissioned and and. Um, about how the Whitecaps handled that. Uh, the coach involved in this situation, uh, Bob Berarda, uh, has been, we uh, we found out today, uh, has been arrested on charges of sex offenses against four people uh, dating from 1988 to 2008, uh, including six counts of sexual exploitation, two counts of sexual assault, and one count of child luring. Um, that is harrowing and terrible. And... I am chilled at the fact that we we already knew so many terrible things about this. Yeah. And there the way that that is written, we're going to find out some more really awful things and Yeah. I that is a that is a chilling thought. The other thing is that I am so my my thoughts at this time are just with the the women who put their voice out there and spoke about why is this coach continuing? Like if all of this had not happened, yeah. this individual would still be coaching in the, the lower mainland. Yeah. And uh, we don't know what is going to happen uh, and, and what is going to be tested in court. I should say when we know what happened, we know, we know what the allegations are. Yeah. Um, and clearly more are coming. Um, I think that this is a time for Canada soccer to, to really like, like, like they have taken a backseat a little bit somewhat in terms of how they've handled this compared to the Whitecaps, but it's their name that are in the hall of the headlines too. Um, because he was the, the U 20 coach at that time. Um, and the, I, all the players and the people involved in in the fans and people involved in Vancouver supporters groups that, 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 push for these protests um, really allowed that to get out and, and created change. And this situation is um, like it's anytime you hear more about it is just mortifying what went on. Yeah. I am thankful that um, that somebody has been that, that, that there are a possibility that, that these Cases people sh- uh, people are going to have to answer to them. You know? Yeah, and I mean, and it's always an emotional thing when something like this happens, when charges are finally laid, or you know, eventually when when a verdict has come to that, it just it affects so many people. Um, and and yeah, and just my you know my thoughts go to all the people who are you know maybe thinking this day would never come. Um, but also, prob- you know, feeling really frustrated that it-, it took all of this to get here. 
Um, but I mean, that's that's an experience that I I don't know. But that's just kind of where where my thoughts go to is that there that it just the why the huge impact that something like this has when some when somebody can do things that are left unchecked it it has an enormous impact um uh, across you know a huge number of families and organizations and you know i just i yeah thinking thinking of everyone involved in it it'll be it'll be harder between now and 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 whatever resolution that that the that this has um but i'm thinking with the players that that put their names behind those letters and and I hope that this helps in some way. Yeah. Um elsewhere in in Canadian soccer headlines uh is that the the Lou Marsh Trophy for Canadian Player of the Year or Canadian Sports Person of the Year uh which is voted on by uh various sports writers across Canada. Um I think or or they they have named for the first time since the 80s uh, a joint winner. Alfonso Davies will win a uh, former Vancouver Whitecap who won the Champions League and a treble with uh, Bayern Munich will share the trophy with uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, offensive lineman who uh, won the Super Bowl, uh, graduated with a medical doctorate, I think, and then also uh, opted to um, sit out the ensuing NFL season uh, to go work in Montreal to help COVID victims. Yeah. I mean, some people are are seeing this as kind of a a controversial decision, but it seems like uh, a reasonable thing to do given the circumstances where... uh, you obviously want to acknowledge the just insane sporting achievements of uh, Alfonso Davies. Um, also, the sporting achievements of a uh, <laughs> oh my god! I just of a Super Bowl winner. I just I was about to say World Cup winner, and I'm like, wait, that's not it. <laughs> Wrong a, football. Do you think this signing is going to help Kansas City win the World Cup? <laughs> Of handball, it's hard to say. Um, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I know that there's there's strong opinions about this. I I'm I'm fine with it. I honestly uh, did not know much about this award until this year, the, um, and hearing the conversations about people being very adamant that it goes to Alfon- Alfonso Davies, it's you know obvious it's a big honor and also again like oh, people treat awards like it's a you know message down from the clouds it's a small very small <laughs> consortium of people usually that develop a a set of criteria that they think makes sense and then they vote and then they pick a winner like it's it's fine that other deserving people didn't win this and it's fine that two deserving people did and everyone will continue on and it's it's all going to be okay i think I agree. I think that for the moment that the Champions League win happened, there was this feeling that, like, are they going to try and find some way for this not to happen for Alfonso? (laughs) Um, So I was, like, a little on edge, but, you know, I love uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. I think he's a great guy. And and I think that I'm also, my heart was warmed by the tweets between the two of them congratulating each other. Great pals. Yeah. Uh, and it's great to see that win. And also, I, 
And, and that's like I don't think either of them is going to be like oh, I didn't really win it. <laughs> exactly, and you know if you look at um, Laura Armstrong at this point, that it's like there were also three soccer people in the in the finalists for the trophy. Yeah. So there's a lot of rec- rec- recognition. Christine there's Sinclair nothing was... to feel bad about in Canadian soccer this year. Christine, uh, well, that's not entirely true. <laughs> the, the great achievements of Canadian soccer players we should all feel real great about this year. Christine Sinclair was also in there for uh, breaking the international goal-scoring record, and uh, Kadisha Buchanan, who also won the Champions League um, with uh, Leon, was, uh, was also a finalist. Awesome. Um, in what Charles Baum referred to as deep CONCACAF, um, in a, in a, in a tweet, uh, Forge FC went wow. into their, their CONCACAF league playing, uh, with Marathon of, of Honduras to, uh, to get the, um, to try and make their way to the... CONCACAF Champions League next season. This is their... They, they hand out six spots to the the the, two, the four semifinalists in CONCACAF League and also to two of the four losing quarterfinalists. So uh, after losing against Arca High, uh, Forge went in, in in David Edgar's last game having to win against Marathon. Uh, it didn't happen. They had some chances that they weren't able to sink. Um... But Marathon is Marathon got the uh, who's doing uh, who's a pretty good team. Um, took the lead after beating Forge's high line on a free kick, uh, with the first the first header getting saved and the second going in on a rebound. Um, and just a complete when people say I had to explain to a non soccer fan what getting Concacaf meant. <laughs> And it's just there's there were so many instances of things that you might consider uh-huh. uh, when David Edgar chest bumped Solano over a duel in the air. They they had had a duel in the air and they sort of bumped chests over it, and Solano hit the pitch like he had died, like he completely collapsed like a skeleton toy. Uh, and Edgar got a, a yellow. I didn't see what the move is, and I'm like. There's no way he's gonna Zidane out in his last game, is he? Is this happening? But it was it was it was it was, it was an inno- innocuous movement, and it was only a yellow card. Um, the just yeah. the, like many games when you're playing away in Central America and, and you're you're down a goal. There's just a lot of um, the everything got really chippy late on and. and and the more people yelled, the angrier everyone got. The more finals. You you want to talk about the Mike, the Michael Boxel Raul Ruiz Diaz foul? That's not getting called in this game. And I think it relatively mm-hmm. goes for both teams. But you know, Kyle yep. Becker just absolute the same guy Solano. Kyle Becker just absolutely cleaned his clock with a tackle and got a uh, got a red card. So this is while Forge is already trying to push. Push their way back into the game. Becker gets a red card, and Edgar gets the uh, get, gets the armband. After all of this, somehow, you know, the red card, players needing treatment on the pitch or whatever. There was only three minutes of added time called, 
And then somehow when the three minutes of added time is called, the the camera is on the hard camera, and you can absolutely hear stuff in the empty stadium all night, but you can hear somebody screaming, Fuck you! <laughs> and then the camera comes in, and Bobby's it Gary Smith, Barbie, Bobby Smirniotis <laughs> is getting sent off. We don't know that we don't know who did it, but Barney, Bobby Smirniotis got sent off, and Maxime Tissot is having stern words with the fourth official, and he got a yellow. So this third, this this when three was announced, it was the strongest reaction I'd ever seen to it. <laughs> Things were just absolutely falling apart. Uh, Solano again. You know, Forge is trying to push, and Solano goes down with an injury on 90 plus four, and basically sits there looking at the referee until the referee blows the final whistle. <laughs> just. Yeah. Just the deepest, darkest parts. But part of the reason why Canadian and American teams keep getting concacaft is because they fall into the games- gamesmanship and they let it get under their skin. And they're crying out for, you know, these minuscule, relatively minuscule things. That's like, I would just love, like, yes, of course there should be more added time and that's suspicious as hell. Fine. But don't act like you're surprised. Like, going into that environment, there's a lot, there's still plenty of ways to win this game. Um, and it just feels like the mentality is the thing that gets mm. us. And when I say us, North American teams and, and American and Canadian teams is it, it just kind of lose our heads over it. And, um, you know, it's fine to let the other team get emotional and, and flop around, but like it, it's gamesmanship. It's designed not just to get a call to go your way. It's designed to get under, under the skin of your opponents. So you don't need to, to buy into that every time, especially, if you know, like, you can pretty much guarantee that it's going to happen. So it's unfortunate, um, and it was definitely crazy. But it it's like, well, you know, it's a good achievement to get there. <laughs> and as ever, the performance fell short, and then the calls don't go your way. So everybody focuses on the calls that don't go your way. And it's like, well, and also, like, what were the clear-cut chances for Forge in this game? No, no, not really. There just weren't any. Exactly. Or like, what what goal did we get that got called back? Didn't happen. So, tr- as Brian Schmetzer taught us, try to get the thing done in regular time. <laughs> just try to get it done. Uh, in On the CONCACAF side of things, the Champions League returns, we discussed that these weird, uh, the, the, the double-legged ties, the second legs from before the pandemic are happening. Uh, so, Olympia and... And Montreal Impact will play on uh, Tuesday. Tigres in New York City will play on Tuesday. Atlanta and uh, Olympia has a 2-1 lead on aggregate. Uh, Tigres has a 1-0 lead on on aggregate. Atlanta uh, will host Club America, who has a 3-0 lead on aggregate. Um, And uh, I guess the first leg never got played, and so it's just going to be a a single-leg tie. Or that Atlantic game happens on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, LAFC will play Cruzazol in a uh, a single leg game to uh, to determine the semifinals, which I guess are are going to happen on the nineteenth, and we're going to try and have a winner for this competition 
on December 22nd. Perfect. Well, man, there's just no rest or love for a soccer player this year. <laughs> I never thought I'd feel just so empathetic towards professional athletes, but man, that's a, that's a long, that's a long, long haul. No doubt. Um, until next week in this, uh, this wonderful game that is going to happen, where can we find you online? You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That's So com on Apple Podcasts and wherever you find podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Where can we find you online? Yeah, please do that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, we're on Facebook too. On Facebook. Yeah. We're on Facebook at that's so MLS podcast. So please, uh, seek us out. We'll have, uh, lots of game day coverage of the final as it, uh, as it unfolds. And, uh, and we, we all learn who's, uh, who's going to, uh, which that's so MLS host is going to have the, is going to win the tiebreaker. Um, yeah. if it goes to penalties, well, I don't know if I I don't know if I set, I settled it in, but we'll see. We it's it's been a wonderful uh, it's been a wonderful these predictions have been a wonderful part of the playoffs for me. So that's been fun. Yeah, I feel like I mean we've like loosely tracked it in the past, but this is the first time we've actually had nothing else to do and created systems so that we can better <laughs> track these things. Tremendous. <laughs> and it, until next time, if you are away in Honduras. And yes. trying to trying to get back what, for a one nil lead. What should I do? Don't get sent off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>